Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, we're talking about the topic of the moment, COVID-19, and the impact of the crisis on the energy transition. It's worth noting today's date, given how dynamic and fluid the situation is. We're recording this on 6th of May, so it may be helpful for context if you're listening to this later on. We here at Delta EE have been thinking long and hard about the impact of the current crisis on the transition from old to new energy. And we're going to share some of our thoughts today, hopefully give you some new angles, new perspectives, new ways of thinking about the challenges and opportunities that we think may be there in the future. I'm joined by three of my colleagues and I'll start by asking each of my guests to share one particular insight that they see in the short term. So how the crisis is currently affecting uh, parts of the energy sector or companies in the energy sector. So uh, my first guest is my colleague Rox Petersey, who works in our heat research. Hello Rox. Hi John. Rock, so you've been talking to a lot of companies in the heating sector. What what are you hearing from the market at the moment in terms of how companies are being affected and are being affected at the moment? So a few weeks ago when we started having discussions, there was a lot of uncertainty and the industry was sort of dealing with the immediate challenges of shutting factories and figuring out whether installations could continue. And now I'd say within the last sort of two weeks or so, Um, especially with lockdowns lifting, there's generally quite a lot of optimism about sort of getting back on track and catching up on sales in the second half of the year. Um, For low carbon heating, the question is how will drivers like building regulations and new build rates and subsidies be impacted? Mm. And that obviously differs by country. But I do think it's safe to say that the, the decarbonization of heat will be set back at least a few months in the best of cases and probably a few years in the worst cases. So sales presumably have taken a bit of an impact in the short term, but companies see, I I guess, if your boiler breaks, if you need a new heating system, you need a new heating system. So exactly uh, some impact on sales, but yeah, okay. And what about installers? Are uh, companies been able to work with their installers? Have installers generally been able to get into homes? It's different by country. Uh, So in Germany, installations have pretty much continued as usual, and it helps there that systems are installed in in basements so that installers are well away from um, customers. But then in other countries, the guidance has been uh, to limit installations to emergencies only. I mean, obviously, people still need uh, heat and hot water, so you can't say that an installation can't go ahead, but the guidance has been to delay, if possible, certainly in like the UK and France and Italy. Okay, so some slowly growing confidence already coming back into the sector, but potentially some impacts on low carbon heating, which is higher cost and I guess a harder sell in hard economic times. Yeah, exactly. And and very much dependent still on regulations and subsidies. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Rox. Next up is my colleague, Nigel Timperley, who looks at how uh, new business models are evolving and in particular looking at some of the the new energy startups. Hello, Nigel. Uh, Hi, John. 
Uh, so, Nigel, what are, you, what are you hearing from the market at the moment? How are, how are this uh, plethora of startups faring at the moment? Is it tough for them? Uh, yeah, it is tough, uh, probably as, as you'd expect. Um, what we're seeing, um, we're hearing some interesting things actually, um, that clearly um, digital models seem to do better, maybe doing better than physical ones. You've, you've already suggested the, the issue to do with physical installations and social distancing, uh, the challenge that brings. What we're seeing um, generally a lot of the small startups we're talking to are saying that B2C models seem to be holding up a little bit better than they'd expected with, with, with some decent, uh, you know, reasonable demand, uh, down a bit, but not mm. devastated. Whereas B2B models um, are, are, are really suffering uh, as companies look to conserve cash and not, not spend any more than they have to. Um, so, so, so probably more issues there. Though also we're, also we're hearing signs of companies looking to collaborate with each other on a sort of we're all in it together um, uh, mode, where possibly JVs or um, a, you know collaborative style projects might spread costs and al allow companies to come through together by leveraging other companies' uh, expertise. Um, and just picking up, Nigel, on what you're saying about some of the physical installation issues that that Rocks mentioned. Are you seeing a trend that if you're software focused, you're probably doing better than if you're hardware focused? Or uh, uh, absolutely. Or uh, uh, also, subscription models seem to hold up quite well because some of the um, uh, some of the payment uh, terms, you know, maybe running months and months into the future. But yes, broadly, we're, we're definitely seeing a split between uh, digital uh, solutions. Um, seem to be holding up a lot better than than uh, physical ones. Also, one or two companies we've seen are doing some quite interesting things where they're trying to work with their customers and, and show they can help them through the crisis. Uh, for instance, StromDAO in Ger Germany were, have, have built their own uh, digital conferencing software and they've decided to give it away to all their customers just to use for free if they want. And um, so sort of right. trying to bridge that gap and show they're in it together. And I think that's an important idea. Okay, thanks, Nigel. Um, my third guest today is my fellow director, Andy Bradley. Hello, Andy. Hi, John. Um, Andy, you've been speaking with a lot of different types of companies across Europe. Um, what have, What's your standout observations in terms of how companies are responding and the impact on them? Um, yeah, I mean, companies are clearly being really challenged by this situation. As Nigel mentioned, you know, cash is king and, you know, every company in the space is is being really careful about any kind of expenditure. Budgets are being locked down or frozen for a period of time. You know, the key uncertainty remains really the longevity of the crisis. Um, you know, thankfully now most most countries in Europe at least are, are talking about how to come out of the lockdown or have started to come out of the lockdown. So perhaps there's more clarity today than what even was a week ago or two weeks ago, certainly on on the the, the length of of the challenge. Um, but still, companies are being very cautious for sure. But having said that, actually, I've certainly over the last two or three weeks, I see quite a lot of evidence and I hear quite a lot of positive discussion with with companies that we deal with that that you know the the nature of the energy transition is so tr strategic to their business that that they 
are really doing everything they can to continue with those projects. Um, mm. you know, it's really reassuring, for example, to see. Any examples? Um, well, for example, you know, some of the deals that have been announced recently, uh, I, I think it's refreshing to see, you know, Fortum have just divested some of their, their EV assets. Uh, Kenza attracted some some good investment uh, recently from legal and general, you know, and there's been one or two other deal announcements in our space recently. And for sure, those deals would have been worked on in the, in the period leading up to the crisis. But, you know, to see them continue and complete during the crisis, I think is a, is a really positive sign actually about the strategic nature of this space for many companies. Um, so I think, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so um, some, they have had to hunker down then. There's been some short-term hunkering down, but it doesn't mean everything has stopped by by any means. Uh, I guess Rox's observation that some of the short-term activities carrying on, Nigel, you were saying some of the digital businesses, software businesses are doing rather well, Andy, some of the deals going ahead. So it's by no means a complete stop of activity, uh, it, but it has slowed things down. Uh, absolutely, and you know it would be amazing to get through this economic downturn you know, without some companies uh, going under or, or projects being deferred and cancelled at some point. So there has to be disruption from this and, and there will be, no doubt. But, you know, the, I think there is a, a lot of ongoing activity and we see it in our own work at, at Delta E, I think that, you know, a lot of the, the projects that we have been working on have continued through this through these last weeks. So I think that, that gives us confidence, I think, about the nature of, of, of the energy transition and the importance it has. So let's look forward a bit further now, uh, look a bit further ahead. And everyone could speculate about the depth of the recession, the length of the recession, how steeply we'll uh, come back out of it and, and get back to normal or not. Um, Nigel, you've been thinking about a uh, the wider economic picture, but specifically how that will relate to the energy transition. Um, and You've got a number of scenarios to share with us. Can you talk us through the four scenarios? Yeah, thanks, John. Um, yeah, one of the things that really stands out when you actually do the analysis is that the energy industry is particularly uh, it's a, a nexus here. You know, certain scenarios look be like being very positive, as I'll come on to others very negative. So the range of possibilities is extremely broad, probably more so for our, our industry, our sector, than, than, than for many others. So at the positive end, the most positive scenario is what we call accelerated green transition. Um, in this world, um, there's a relatively early exit from the crisis, either through uh, development of vaccine, um, or similar drug, you know, therapeutic drugs, or uh, a very carefully managed exit from lockdown, uh, which allows the crisis to be firmly brought under control and then governments um, aim to reignite the economy by um, pouring uh, investment into uh, the renewable sector, into the green sector, um, as, as the world realises that um, external threats, existential threats have got to be taken seriously and we've got to work together on them. Uh, and so you end up with a gradual economic recovery driven by huge global government stimulus of of the green economy um and, and okay, we've already so that, a lot to that talk scenario about. then isn't yeah that scenario is not just back to normal for the energy transition it's in a way an, a boost to it an even better outcome than maybe where we would have been otherwise absolutely absolutely that's the green yep. economy on on turbo yep. boost um okay the, the, so 
<laughs> that's the first number one, two. accelerated green transition. Yep, let's go to yeah. number two. Number, number two is what we call back to business, uh, which, which is still a positive scenario. It involves a very accommodative um, uh, uh, monetary and fiscal policy, um, effectively stimulating industries across the piece. Uh, so, so the green economy uh, uh, benefits just like all uh, sectors uh, benefit. It's just a reboot of the economy, um, possibly leading to a, a, a dramatic and unexpectedly strong economic recovery. We think that's quite plausible in the economy, in a world of cheap money and so forth. So, so, yeah. so that's very much the stimulus argument. Um, okay. Third scenario, we've got the two sort of good ones out of the way. The third one down in, in, in descending order uh, is um, what we call climate disunity. Uh, this is probably a much more protracted crisis, uh, a couple of false dawns. We think we're out of lockdown. We've got to go back in again. Uh, possibly, um, you know, vaccines aren't developed as quickly as we'd like. Um, rise of some geopolitical tensions, maybe a twin trap world. Um, and it's, we do recover, but it's very slow, very tedious. Um, it tests everybody's patience and everybody gets thoroughly sick of the subject. Um, so that's a very sort of a slow crawl out. And, um, and so you get a sort of patchwork effect in that with some countries using um, the green um, future as an opportunity to, to find their way forward into a new economy. Others, perhaps US switches to shale. Um, China might focus more on air quality rather than climate. You get this sort of different multi-speed effect um, across, across the piece. Yeah, okay. So in this um, one, the energy transition, it sort of tracks the economic recovery or it might even lag behind the economic recovery in, in some areas. Yeah, I, I think I think it's patchy. That's the point. Um, uh, you, yeah. you, you yeah, might okay. expect you to do one, well in one area, green in another, um, coal in another. It really will be all over the board, I think. Very, very disjointed. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the final. Right. So the fourth one is, now. This is going to be the gloomiest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be quick on this one because it's we don't like thinking about this too much. But in this one, you know, there are some very, very gloomy economic prognoses out there. That's not really our area to to do economic forecasting. But you know, we've got to take those prognoses at least seriously as a possibility, even if we we, we think it's only a ten percent possibility. And and essentially, they're you know full scale global depression. Um, and and in this world, everybody says, look. You know, it's terrible. We've got it's the worst depression since I don't know. You know, the 30s. We we uh, we just we haven't time for the for the climate. We that's a problem for another day. Where this is about keeping the lights on, yeah. um, energy business survival. Uh, probably emphasis on networks. You know, on support and and just getting through rather than actually yeah. developing yeah. and building something new and positive. So we call that climate deferred. Okay. So those and are that's four scenarios. Yeah, so that's where you might get a response to a typical recession of where we've got other things to worry about before climate. So uh, exactly, yeah. um, we we don't think that's the most likely, but we do think it is a, a serious possibility that should be on the radar. And I, I think the sort of key takeout, and we I mean, we could drill into talk about these all day, but but but, but the key takeout is this is a very very broad spectrum and all of the possibilities are at least plausible. So, so the challenge for energy businesses becomes, how do you plan for a world with such a broad range of outcomes from, from boom time, yeah. the you know, happy days, to all bets being off? How, how do you approach a world that's that uh, varied, uh, you know, the, the possibilities are that varied? And also, what are the signposts that we, we could look for um, that, that suggest yeah. that 
you know, we're going one way or the other. But more, how do you plan for that? Because obviously a lot of this stuff is out of our control, but how you plan, how you prepare for that, that's what's under your control. That's what we've got to focus on. Yeah. Okay, so let's just run through this again. Accelerated green transition, back to business, climate disunity, climate deferred. And the really yeah. interesting point that the extreme tier are even bigger than the extremes for the for the rest of the economy. Yes, uh, I think so. So real range, yeah, yeah. yeah. Andy, in terms of signposts, Nigel mentioned signposts. Um, what should we be looking for? Or are there any any little hints out there of which way we might be going? Um, yeah, there are some hints, I think, or we've picked up over the last week or two some things from the market. But I suppose in general perspective, it's important to take a step back, at this look at this crisis in the round, not just in the new energy silo, but think about its overall impact on the world. And, you know, I think there are some really big things happening that will influence the new energy space, the energy transition. For example, the world of work will never be the same again. I think we all accept that now. Um, but other things such as remote healthcare, the, the opportunity for assisted living may be fundamentally different in future. Um, consumer behaviours, consumer values may change as a result of this crisis. Nobody knows for sure yet, but the way customers make decisions may be quite different in future. The need for mobility, um, micro-mobility um, in cities, urban centres may be fundamentally different. So, so there are, I think there are you know, some really big themes that will, will shape the world that we live in and they will create opportunities and challenges, I think, for, for companies involved in the, the energy transition. So for, for me, some, those are some of the, the key signposts to look for and look at very closely. Okay, I think that's really interesting. So in accelerated green transition or back to business, the nature of the energy transition may be different in a number of ways from the way it was when we went into this crisis. Um, one of the signposts I've, I've seen is a focus on cycling in cities, for example. Um, we've seen a number of cities in the last weeks uh, look at cycling as a, as a way to uh, or promote cycling much more as we come out of lockdown. So um, that has impact for mobility business models. Absolutely. And I think for individual companies, um, you know, where, where they're starting is obviously going to influence the choices that they, they can make or, or wish to make. And, you know, the point Nigel made, I think, is a really important one about uh, having a, a digital platform or, or digital uh, mode of operation. You know, that, that, that was already very important before the crisis, but, but probably becomes essential following this period. So, so companies who yeah. have already invested in that and have those platforms probably have go into this period now with some kind of advantage. Um, and there will be geographical differences as well. There's differences between different countries and how this crisis is playing out so far and, and will play out in future. And, and certainly if you look at Germany in the European context, they, they seem you know, particularly well positioned um, in terms of, of what they might do next and you know, their ability to, to gain some kind of competitive market advantage out of, uh, out of this situation, perhaps in comparison to other European countries. So I think things like that will, will influence the, you know, what individual companies can, can, can do going forward. Um, yeah, we'll talk to the macro level. I think if we, let's come down to the micro level for a minute and look at an issue like building regulations and, and new build. Um, there's new build regulations that uh, getting more stringent across Europe, that's leading to uh, more opportunities for low carbon heating, voltaic and new build. Rox, you're looking at this 
trend. How do you think this will go? Do you think this will increase the chance that those regulations will get rolled back a bit uh, and lower cost heating systems going into new build? Or do you think actually they might get enhanced, become more stringent as a way of helping to create new industries and stimulate the economy and grow the low carbon heating business, for example? I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be the latter, that they become more stringent because that has been the general trend. Um, you will obviously have lobbying, you know, from house builders and staff looking to keep their industries afloat, asking governments to to relax building regulations so that they can continue to um, to operate as they did in the past. But I think the only country so far where we've had a bit of a delay as a result of COVID-19 now is um, in the UK. Building regulations will probably come in about a year later than previously. But other than that, generally, I think mm -hmm. everything is still largely on track and we can be hopeful that um, there won't be any major delays to the shift, at least in the new build sector, to decarbonized heating. And this is an opportunity for the for the sector to, to lobby hard to create the narrative around how uh, tightening up these regulations can help to grow a new industry, grow more jobs and so on. So I guess companies can uh, shape their, their future quite a lot at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. And making the argument um, for future proofing being more important than ever now. Mm -hmm. um, in a, I want, Andy, I want to ask you one question about uh, impact on oil companies and then look at uh, what the three of you think this means for a company right at the middle of this, what, what that company should focus on, what they might do. So, Andy, you've been looking at Shell's uh, cutting their dividend recently, which, uh, if I remember right, that's the first time they've done that for a long time? Mm, yeah, I think since 1940, if I remember correctly, certainly since the Second wow. World War. And, and I, I think it was a surprise, actually. Everything uh, that's in the lead up to the decision suggested to me that it was unlikely they would cut it, but they, you know, they cut it by two thirds, so a really significant reduction. Um, you know, and the stated reasons, are, I think, are, you know, well understood, protect the balance sheet, you know, uncertainty around future mm -hmm. of oil pricing, longevity of this crisis. Um, but I think, you know, and I think that's that's all understood, but I, I, I do think it, it also creates a, a really high degree of protection and headroom potentially for their new energies business. So, you know, my thinking has always been about the big oil companies is that, you know, the acid test for their commitment to the energy transition would come when the energy, when the oil price collapses. Um, and, yeah. you know, that, that moment's so, arrived. Okay. And a company like Shell, they've been uh, investing a few billion a year, that sort of amount in new energy. So I guess a very easy for them thing for them to do is preserve the dividend and cut that three billion if they don't see that as essential to their future. Uh, but your view is that they've chosen to cut the dividend and this might be a sign that their that investment in new energy is is going to remain strong and be a core part of their future. Well, it, it, it creates the opportunity for them to prove that, I think. Yes. So, yeah, they're, they're, mm, they're, okay. they're still Maybe I'm getting a bit far ahead of myself. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think we'd all like that to be the case. But, you know, for me, the, the question has changed from, you know, what will they do when the oil price collapses to what will they do when the oil price recovers? And I think the proof will come at yeah. that point now, actually, that, you know, they, they've cut their dividend, you know, for other reasons, you know, they've obviously their core business, upstream business, 
Um, but and they're cutting a lot of costs. They're stopping the share buyback scheme. So you know they really have deployed their big bazooka on this one. Um, mm. And I think you know when when the, you know this current crisis passes and the oil price recovers as it always does and it will at some point in the future, I think at that point that's that's when we will really know. And if they restore the dividend to the historic levels and continue to to you know be uh, to be a company that's driven by you know uh, investor return generated from fossil fuel extraction then i think actually we can say that you know their commitment to the energy transition is not what you know we would like it to be if however at that point they take the opportunity to actually recycle some of the profits from the upstream sort of legacy big businesses into an accelerated growth of the new energies business you know that's the opportunity i think they've created for themselves but I think we will only know that come the moment when the oil price recovers and, and you know, they make a decision on their dividend. And f final point, I'd have to say their shareholders have a huge role to play here. You know, if the shareholders uh, that they have support the company in the energy transition and the long term vision for, for how the company can contribute to that, um, that would be fantastic to see. But if the, their shareholders are yeah. uh, frankly putting them under intense pressure to, to maximize the dividend, that, that will be particularly disappointing. Okay. So, yeah, I know a lot of people in the new energy sector look to the activities of companies like Shell and Tatao, for example, Repsol. Um, Nigel, you've got a, an observation on types of energy companies, uh, maybe not the big oil ones, but the, the I guess, the traditional incumbents, uh, the utilities who are uh, under pressure to survive, hunker down, maybe preserve cash, maybe a little bit of retreating. And uh, a second type of energy company that's emerging. Tell us about this second type and how they contrast to my uh, yeah. probably overgeneralization of the incumbents. <laughs> yeah. Well, like a lot of things in the crisis, there's there's a sort of um, potential for existing trends to accelerate, and I think this is another example of that. Um, so that um, you know, several of the sort of legacy energy companies, um, EDF, Centrica, Angie, Vattenfall, have, have cancelled or reduced dividends in a bit to conserve cash. Some of these same companies have also cancelled financial guidance to markets because they just don't know what's coming next. Maybe furloughed staff to save money, and 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 we know that there's been a reduction in power demand as the European economy has gone into lockdown. Um, the, the big unknown, of course, is whether customers will pay their energy bills. Uh, but it's a part of our legacy business model as an industry that energy companies provide free credit and then hope to get paid at the end of a period of time, which, um, you know, supermarkets don't have to deal with that. Uh, tr try that in Tesco's or, or Leclerc. Um, but so, 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 so there's this huge problem. There's this huge problem that the legacy companies have got, which is preserving cash and, and will their cash flow be hit uh, um, when customers don't pay if they've lost their job or whatever. On the other hand, we've we've seen the emergence of these new, really tech companies in disguise that are that are energy businesses, but scratch the surface and there's a tech startup underneath. The, the best two examples that immediately come to mind are Octopus Energy in the UK and Enico in the Netherlands. Um, I mean, right in the middle of this crisis, not before, right in the middle, um, Origin Energy of Australia has invested um, over 500 million uh, Australian dollars in Octopus to buy a 20% share of the company, which values Octopus at over a billion pounds, so a unicorn in, in UK terms. Similarly, Enico has just been acquired by a consortium of Mitsubishi and Chubu from Japan for around 4 billion euros. So you've got, you've got these new tech-oriented energy companies with huge financial firepower, 
they don't have to worry about um, hunkering down and cancelling dividends and, and just crossing their fingers. Um, so, so we have a twin track, a twin track picture there, and I think we might see um, them do different things because they're starting from different places. Um, and uh, you know, one will be focusing more on just getting through. The other one can start making um, advanced investments, getting it ahead of the game, putting down platforms that are very consumer oriented. Because one of the things coming out of our work is that on, on scenarios is that you know the consumer, although although policy matters, although technology matters, possibly the consumer matters most of all. The consumer is going through a fundamental change here in many ways. You know, home as the cocoon. Um, the death of the city, possibly. Um, you know, tech. Yeah. Um, I can do everything from my home. I, I, maybe we'll see the rise of VR. Who knows? You know, a lot of people are speculating. We don't quite know what that looks like, but it does look high tech, and it looks about empowerment. And um, uh, Andy's talked about assisted living. There's a lot of stuff going to go on in in the home and in communities as people start to look at life differently, and possibly also they start to feel differently about the. the you know, they, they feel that uh, the, the modern world is a lot less robust than they thought it was. You know, they're in, and, and they may regard the climate challenge in a similar vein. You know, now they're enjoying clear water in the Venice canals, blue yeah. skies over Delhi, and wild animals ro roaming boldly in lockdown cities. Maybe people start to think, this is great. You know, the roads are quiet, there, there aren't vapor trails all over the sky. I'd like to live in this world. Um, so the yeah. consumer is the consumers having a good long think about what sort of world they want, and these really responsive companies with big cash piles and and serious investors behind them can respond to those customers' needs with high tech solutions because this is a tech game, the future. Whereas the legacy mm -hmm. companies are going to struggle because they're going to be focused more on 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 just cash flow and get it, getting the bills paid. Okay, so Nigel, you've given us a hint there of some of the things you think are important for energy companies to focus on and maybe uh, the challenges of incumbents versus some of these new tech-focused companies. Rox, in the, the heating sector, are there any things you'd pull out that um, if it were you in a heating-related or heating service company, you'd focus on at the moment? Let me just pick up again on... Um digital and finance you know so digital sales channels and services like remote diagnostics i think the rationale for those kinds of products is going to be clearer than ever to customers and then finance especially for low carbon heating which is more expensive um with households hanging on to cash that it's going to be more important than ever i think for businesses to look at ways that they can come up with service-based business models and models that avoid um high upfront costs to continue this sort of transition to low carbon heating. Okay, that's Rox. And Andy, are you going to, to echo Nigel and Rox's uh, digital uh, mantra and services around changing customer needs or anything else to add to that? Yeah, I mean, the, the customer is key. I totally agree with what Nigel said. And the customer doesn't, still doesn't get a focus in the industry. And I think the customer will determine, you know, what a lot of the opportunities are actually uh, and how the energy transition mm -hmm. Uh, will play out. Um, but uh, as Nigel was speaking there, I was thinking about that sort of Mark that Twain, uh, Mark Twain quote, I think, about, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it you know, echoes, I think. And I was just thinking back, you know, to the mm. perhaps the dot-com crisis in, in 2000, for those that are old enough to remember that, you know, that, that didn't kill the internet, you know, and it actually led to Amazon. Um, you know, the crisis in 2008 mm -hmm. and nine, which, you know, basically destroyed the business models of 
of the legacy sort of uh, energy uh, utilities, European utilities, um, but most of those have survived. Um, a lot of them have reinvented themselves and are quite different businesses today from you know what they were uh, 10 years ago. And I, I think this current crisis needs to be seen in that context. I think the kind of you know the tech energy companies, perhaps a new a new type of energy company in this space, will get an accelerated boost from this crisis and you know come out. Um, and become really influential players quicker than they otherwise, otherwise would have done as a result. But that will really challenge the, you know, the incumbents to, to you know, increase the pace at which they adapt to the, the changing world, I think. Okay, well, the, the challenge of, uh, I guess, what all three of you have talked about is that um, those scenarios, Nigel, that you introduced earlier and how, how extreme for the energy transition, the two ends of those scenarios are. So, I'm going to bring out the talking new energy crystal ball now, and at the risk of putting it under a lot of stress, hopefully we don't break it, uh, <laughs> ask each of you to uh, to predict which of those four scenarios you think will be in, in uh, let's say uh, two years time. So just to run through them again, accelerated green transition, uh, back to business, climate disunity, and climate deferred. So. Where will we be in two years? Um, Nigel, let's start with you and say with your scenarios. Uh, okay. Um, well, I'm uh, an optimist by nature, so I'm going to say we're going to be an accelerated green transition. I, I think pretty much every recession of my lifetime, uh, the green movement has been told to take a hike. Um, we can't afford. Uh, to focus on the climate just yet, we'll get back to you later when all of this is fixed. That feels very out of date to me. Um, I, I think I think um, the, the, the argument has moved on. I think there are strategic com companies making strategic decisions with, with serious investors behind them who are in it for the long haul. And fundamentally, I think consumers want it. I think the pull is okay. from the consumer. So ultimately, that the consumers and voters, because they're the same people, are going to have a big say about what happens next. And I think that's what they're going to demand. I don't think they're going to go back to business as usual. So that's where my vote is. Okay. Uh, thanks. And I like your optimism. Uh, Rox, how about you? Are you equally optimistic or a little bit more uh, pragmatic or pessimistic? I would call myself a realist. So I'm going to say back to business feels more likely to me. Okay. And Andy, how about you? Um, I think on a, when I think of this on a European scale, I think I am with the accelerated green transition. If I think globally, I don't think that's the case. I think it, it potentially will be you know, climate disunity or back to business, actually. But I think in Europe, I think there is a, a real groundswell of momentum from consumers and from government and from industry i think which supports that view and, and it always makes me nervous you know why is it going to be different this time as nigel said previous recessions haven't really um you know had this same kind of accelerated impact if you like on the transition and i think it's going to be different this time for two reasons one is i think we probably reached peak oil so well i, I knew it we have reached peak oil some time ago actually but you know it creates uh, the opportunity for new renewable capacity to grab market share uh, as as the demand recovers, I think. Um, but renewables are so much cheaper than they were 10 years ago. Mm. You know, the mm. cost of renewables and the economics for renewables it, it, today is is really competitive without any subsidy. Um, so it just makes so sense. Some... 
there's some clear reasons why it might be different this time. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I yeah. think so. So, you know, I, in Europe, I'm I'm really becoming increasingly um, positive that actually an acceleration of the energy transition is is going to be one of the results from the crisis. Well, uh, only time will tell, and I'm pleased to say we haven't broken the the crystal ball. It's remained intact despite this uh, very difficult look into the future. So uh, we'll see where we where we end up with these scenarios. Uh, listeners, I'm sure you have your own views, and if you want to message us via uh, our Twitter feed or on our website, we'd be very interested to hear from you. We hope you found that interesting and gave you some new angles and new perspectives on the, the crisis and the impact on the energy transition. Thanks to all my guests. Thanks to listening. We hope you uh, stay safe uh, as we hope to get back towards normality and look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcasts and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.